if they are able to look at all of that and say, right, what skills do I have that I can tap into? How do I solve this problem? How do I pool resources? How do I collaborate with people to solve these issues? Then you have a successful student. We had the benefits of a society that prioritizes education above everything else. The education of our children must be at the heart of our efforts. From Solid Gold Studios, this is EduThink, the show that explores education in South Africa. Here's your host, Gavin Kennedy. Today we'll be doing things a little bit differently. I'll be rebroadcasting an interview between innovation consultant Carmen Murray and Jacqueline Aitchison, who is the director of Education Incorporated, a boutique school in four ways. The topic of their discussion is EduInc's book, Educating Your 22nd Century Child. Enjoy. Welcome to the Witty Chatterbots, Women in Tech, empowering everyone. I am Carmen Murray, a business professional, and I specialize in technology, innovation, and strategy. We are coming live from the Brand Live studio in the Bohemian city of Marvel, 27 Boxes. And this show is designed to give you a taste of the topics we explore with heavyweights, mavens, and disruptors to give you a new perspective on the changing landscape in business and our environment and how to evolve and adapt. Now, today's guest is a, a very special one. We've got Jax Aitchison with us, and we're going to unpack education and specifically educating a 22nd century child. Her experience ranges from teaching in boarding schools in the northern province and spending four years in Taiwan, which is actually very interesting. I wish we should definitely unpack that a bit, and a variety of subjects. And together with her husband, she owned and ran two Kip McGrath Extra Lesson Centers for 10 years, which ultimately led to them opening their own private school in 2013, where they could apply their colorful and diverse experiences in a classroom setting that could really make a positive difference in the lives of children. Good morning, Jax. Awesome to have you here. Thanks, Carmen. Thank you for having me. So I think the first thing we need to do is tell me about your background. What do you do for a living? Why are you so passionate about education? Well, it's been a long road. Yeah. We've been in this game for the better part of 20 years now. It's been yeah. a, quite an interesting road as well. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned in the bio, they're just educating various different contexts. Uh, one of the most interesting, obviously, being our time spent in Taiwan. That was, it was quite a long time. We were there for four years. Yeah. Uh, and I think people make the assumption that that's, oh, you taught English in Taiwan. But what we actually did was we taught in a school where all subjects were taught in English. So we were teaching the Chinese children. Sure. Uh, in English. It was a lot deeper in terms of how you were getting into the language. Was it in the villages? Was it in the rural areas? Where exactly in Taiwan? Maybe just give us a little bit of a some memory lane memories there. Sure. It really was one of the most interesting times of our lives. And it, and it has shaped a lot of how we think about education because it is entirely foreign to what we do in South Africa. Hmm, I a love very, that. very Chinese culture. We were just south of Taipei. We were about 40 minutes south of Taipei in a little town called Sansha, which means three rivers because it had three rivers, wow. well, three waters coming, three rivers coming through the, 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 the little town. Um, and we taught in the Uncle Sam American School. <laughs> <laughs> love that. Oh. Um, I had actually previous to that taught in a school called Goldson in Taipei. Traveled through to Taipei every day to teach there and made incredible friends there. 
uh, Kathy and Teresa, who I still are I'm in frequent contact with them because they were just such incredibly mm. special people and it was such a, a, an incredibly special time in our lives. The amount we learned then about teaching and education in context was second to none so, and has completely shaped the way we think about education now. I love that. And, and that's truly set the foundation of who you are today. Absolutely. And everything that you're about and the pulse. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Very, love it. very different in their processes and, and structures. Um, when you're teaching a language to these foreign children or teaching all their subjects, mm. um, they use a lot of games. It's play-based education because mm -hmm. their school day is very, very long. It's a lot longer than ours. Oh. So how do you keep children engaged? For sure. long, long periods, you teach everything through yeah. games. Love it. Which was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, we had the benefits of a society that prioritizes education above everything else. Sure. It always comes first. You would go out to dinner and you would be introduced. Teacher was your honorific. This is Teacher Jacks or Teacher Gershom, like yeah. Doctor or whatever. It was just the honorific. Um, so it was really, really special uh, for us. One of the best times. Of our lives, really. Thank goodness you went because now you're driving a huge impact in South Africa with the way that you're educating children. And I think maybe just give us our audience a bit of context. So, you know, obviously navigating in an era of unprecedented change is immensely difficult for adults, especially yeah. when you have children. Mm -hmm. Adults haven't even been able to hack how to survive in, in, in this fast-paced moving yeah. world. Yeah. So my question to you would be, uh, many parents that I know in my personal circle frequently complain about the education system. And um, I think recently I read in Stats SA, they actually reported that South Africa has got one of the worst education systems in, in the world. Are we preparing our children effectively for the future? Unfortunately, the stats are correct. I wish they weren't, but that's yeah. the situation we find ourselves in right now. Uh, I think the question really becomes what constitutes successful preparation? You know, what, what is mm. that success? How do you define that success? How do you know if you have educated a child successfully? For us, the big, big difference is process versus result. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the global things, one of the global trends that you see. Certain countries, and we are one of them, we are very results-driven. It's about the, how many A's we're reporting at the end of matric, how many white blazers we're putting on the front page of the newspaper. And we tend to compromise on the process of mm. education. Mm. We, we lose sight of what we are trying to achieve. I mean, how do you know if you've created a successful matriculant? It's fine if you want to report 100% matric pass, but does that automatically mean they are going to be successful in university? No, of course not. Mm. There's no guarantee mm. of that. Did you so put the, the, the correct critical skills in place so that that child can succeed in mm. university and beyond? Lifelong mm. learning, growth mindsets, all mm. of that sort of thing needs to be in place for that child to succeed. You know, if they're going into varsity in the first semester, which always comes like a brick between the eyes, regardless of how well you did at school, they go in, they face that. And if their mindset is one of, well, I haven't done this before, I need, I need someone to prep me for this, I need someone to hold my hand through this process – you do not have a successful matriculant mm. at that point. If they are able to look at all of that and say, right, what skills do I have that I can tap into? How do I solve this problem? How do I pool resources? How do I collaborate with people to solve these issues? Then you have a successful student. 
I love that. You know, as you're talking, I'm just thinking of of so many things and memories going through my brain. It's like there's so many subjects that I that I learned at school and studied, and I did well in them, and and I I had the high percentages. and one of those was accountancy. <laughs> so I was convinced that that's the career I need to follow. Yeah. And mm. to I wanted to become a forensic auditor. And I started studying my BCom and yeah. my degree. And then only realized that this is not me. My personality yeah. doesn't suit this career. Yeah. And if only in those days, if the education system could have supported me as a, yeah. as a, as a unique person, because yeah. I'm far more, I have a far more creative brain. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, the test that I do in diagnosis tests on, on what career you're supposed to have, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. When I do them now, they, they are accurate. Yeah. But when I did them at school, they completely steered me into the wrong direction. Yeah. It's a real issue. I love the process approach yeah. to things. Um, and yeah, so... Um, Seth Godin actually said in an interview once that sooner or later, parents have to take responsibility for putting their kids into a system that is indebting them and teaching them to be cogs in an economy that doesn't want cogs mm, anymore yeah. and parents get to decide. Yeah. What's your views on that? We're hearing a lot about that these days. You, you see it in every second TED Talk with the Google-esque engineers talking about the industrial education system that is no longer relevant. We keep mm. hearing about it. And the fact of the matter is we know. We know that this is a problem. Mm. They're right. Mm. But it goes back to that process of education. Mm. Yes, parents do need to put their children into an education system at some point. What system are they going to put them into? Mm. Are you putting them into the system that is focused on the results, like we mentioned, or are you putting them into a system that teaches them what they need to know? So one of the analogies we use with parents often at EduInc at our school is we say to parents, we take the farmer mentality to education. This is about what you do between preparing your soil and planting your seeds and getting up every day to weed. It's the boring stuff. It's the slog. But it's what has to be done for a successful crop at the end. If you want that crop… Have the farmer mentality. So when, as a parent, you're looking for which education system to put your child in to create a successful, functional citizen, take that process farmer mentality and into account. Look for schools that embrace that. I love that because it's almost you're teaching them the whole ecosystem. Yeah. You know, it's, it's <laughs> okay, there's a pot. So I've soon realized um, when you do something that you're passionate about, mm-hmm. you only get to do 30% that you really love. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yes. Because <laughs> there's the admin and all yeah, of those things yeah. that you need to do. But it's it's all of that that comes together yeah. and and understanding how, that, how to build that whole ecosystem mm-hmm. and that's where the lessons are learned. Further to that. Yeah. It's also teaching valuable lessons in that at some point in that process, yes. you have to give control to somebody else mm. as well. So we, we can't rely. We don't know when it's going to rain. It must happen for that crop to be successful. Yeah. You need the rain for it to be successful. But as the parent, you can't control every day, every dot and comma of what's going to be happening in that education process. Mm. At some point, also, you've got to hand it over to the child. They need to own the process. And also realize that it comes with challenges. And I think one of the, the big things that I notice, a lot of parents try and protect their children so much mm. from, from real problems and how to handle them that mm. when they're becoming teenagers and adults, it's impossible for them to, to, to solve problems. And I think further to your point, Elon Musk, look at him. He took yeah. 
these children out of the education mm-hmm. system. He said, listen, I'm not happy with the way my kids are taught. Um, I want them to teach the problem, not the solution. Correct. And it's, it's, it's really creating and nurturing that. Where I think one of the things that he does is like he gives his kids an engine and say, take the engine apart. Mm-hmm. There's all the tools, figure it out. Yes. And that's why I love what you mentioned about the farmer mentality because yeah. it's exactly what that's all about. To move on, you and your husband recently wrote a book, Educating Your 22nd Century Child. Yes, we did. What inspired you to write about this? And give our audience a bit of a summary and some context of this book. What we were finding is that in conversations about education and with parents in particular, there were several common questions that would be asked. A lot of parents wondering about the same things, thinking that they're alone. So we thought, well, let's actually put something together where parents can, first of all, read about these issues and see that they're not alone and have a piece of literature that resonates with them and their child. Very few people will read the book cover to cover. It's more likely that they will open that, find the chapters that resonate with them and their child and read those chapters. The title, Educating Your 22nd Century Child, we're in the 21st century. We're already partway through the 21st century. And mm. the reality of, of life today is with technological advances in medicine and everything else, some of the kids we are teaching right now are very likely to live into that century. Mm. So how are we future-proofing these kids? Mm. How are we developing that lifelong learning, that growth mindset that they will need mm. to go forward into mm. whatever comes their way? We can't even begin to fathom. For a long time, when you mentioned the phrase 21st century, people were thinking, oh, future. Mm. No, but we're there now. Yeah. We're in it. Yeah. So we needed to create a, a context where people could see that this is about the longevity of your child's critical skills that need to be put in place for that child to be successful going forward. There's a quote that says, the future is here. Mm. It's just not evenly distributed. <laughs> So um, we, we have it. It's here. Um, no doubt about that. But, but one thing that I always teach, you know, my clients and, you know, when I do training is that we have to remember that a child under the age of 13 years old, when they learn a language, mm-hmm. they can learn up to five languages mm-hmm. and speak it fluently. Mm-hmm. Where if a child over the age of 13 years old and learns a new language, they get an accent and it's, it's, it's a lot harder for them. Now, the kids that are currently being raised are learning XML feeds, they're learning digital hopscotch, they're learning coding, all of those things. And when they enter our workforce, a lot of us who are also not adapting to to that environment um, is definitely not going to have jobs in the Mm -hmm. future. And, And that's something I truly believe in. Also, my one concern is parents that push technology and push the future away like it's yeah. this, this evil thing yeah. um, and depriving their children from becoming future fit. I, I, I don't know. Absolutely. I have seen that. Do you think that that, that is something that also influences the, the way that parents get their children into specific schools? So if we're talking about the digital space in school or the technological space in school yeah. and where it fits and how it fits and how it fits appropriately, that's a, that's a big question. Mm. So if we look at it purely from a school's point of view, we have this thing where we, we talk about digitizing an analog process. Mm-hmm. Going into a school and giving every child an iPad with PDFs of the textbooks, all you've done is digitize an analog process. Mm. You have not made your school technologically advanced. What is the true purpose and value behind that? Also, as things stand right now with assessment in our curriculum and in our context, they still write a paper and pen exam at the end. Mm. So 
digitizing all these analog processes mm. for the children by only working on laptops, iPads, whatever the case may be, and then having them write a paper and pen final exam. It's a bit like saying to your child, well, here, let me teach you how to drive this car, but when we do the exams, go and fly that airplane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's essentially what's happening. So there is definitely a space. Of course there is a space. This is part of, as you mm. say, making your kids future fit and ready to embrace whatever they are going to face in that world. And it's going to move quickly. They are going to have to be nimble. It's going to happen. So how do we do that effectively? We believe you teach the children that all this technology, all these electronics are tools to solve problems with, not crutches to fall back on. Love that. Tools Love that. for training. So let me give you an example of, of how we use tech to solve problems. Yeah. One of the things that we insist on with our kids for their big cycle tests and their exams, they have to submit a proof of preparation and we give them a checklist. So it's very clear. You have to show us how you've identified the work, summarized the work, memorized the work and tested yourself before you are equipped to write this test or exam. And it was quite funny. It was one of our little grade fives actually that came to us last year. And he said, you know what? He said, I know because I've done study skills with you and everything else. He said, I'm very visual and I'm auditory. I'm a visual auditory learner. Wow. <laughs> so, this what does that <laughs> even mean? <laughs> Whoa. So he says this, this writing down, he says, I'm, I'm so auditory that this writing out my proof of preparation and all my studies, <laughs> he says, it doesn't necessarily work for me. <laughs> I love that he could. He has the confidence to tell it's you. It's fantastic, but that's in exactly the type of environment that we are trying to create. We said to him, "Right, fine, no problem." We created him a Google Drive account, and we said, "Video yourself," because he said, "When I'm studying, I like to line up all my teddies and things, and actually teach them the work." And now we know that teaching someone is one of the best way to learn something. We said, "Record yourself teaching your teddies and upload that to your Drive account, and there's your proof of preparation done." I love that. So that is yes, teaching your kids use tech to solve a problem, to recognize your strengths, play to your strengths, instead of just digitizing what you already have. Oh my goodness. You see, I wish we had another like hour. I want to talk, talk, talk. We are talking about educating a child for the 22nd century. And I must say, if you, if you haven't learned to well, if you haven't listened into the beginning part of the show, I, I definitely recommend that you listen to the podcast in full. Very insightful. And we were just talking about digitizing your education system and, and making things and adopting it to your children. And I want to quickly put, put um, things into perspective. There was something in the book that you mentioned that really excited me. It was about, you referred to the curriculum 2.0. So educating your 22nd century child for jobs that don't exist yet. Mm -hmm. Please give us more context about that. And how do you actually prepare them for that and apply this? Like we mentioned in the first part, there was, there's a lot of focus on process thinking and process orientation. We've seen jobs are changing as fast as the technology is changing. You mentioned earlier about those of us who, who are not keeping up are, mm. are going to be out of a job, mm. going to make ourselves redundant. Yeah. So we have to look at what's happening. And if you look at the, the jobs that are growing and changing, you know, our kids are going to be doing things like they're using 3D printers to create organs and things that, that for us seemed very sort of sci-fi and futuristic. They are going to be doing mm. without a doubt. Mm. So if we don't even know what that job is going to be, how do you educate them? What skills will they need? Then it becomes less about the subject itself and more about the process that you've adopted behind the subject in, in terms of teaching them how to take that information, handle that information, engage with the information, and 
demonstrate their knowledge when it counts. There was a science art fair in the UK mm-hmm. where children had to design their own products. So mm-hmm. they had this competition, and then at the end, the ones that um, went through to the finals actually got a real designer to design their products. Wow. And That's then, incredible. Yeah. And um, the boy that won was eight years old or nine years old, and he he created a hover wheelchair because wow. his grandfather is is paralyzed in a wheelchair and they always battle to get him up up to stairs yeah. and it's created with magnets so that it can lift, literally hover and lift itself up from from chair to chair eight years old yes, they come up with ideas ideas yeah. like that um one of the other ideas that i remember that stood out to me was this girl that created a solar panel spacesuit so that you could fly like instead of with drones yeah. you can fly in the suit it makes sure that you get enough oxygen solar panels protect you from an oxygen level like crazy things i mean i went to a bry once and a little girl um got cut her finger Mm -hmm. and she was like does this connect to my phone and she was like two and a half years old (laughs) asking if this (laughs) plaster is connecting to her phone because she wants to see that that she's okay that she didn't hurt herself (laughs) she's expecting the phone to tell her that so this is this is important mm. stuff, guys. And, they and think differently. The kids do they think do. differently. <laughs> yes. But you know what? The, the reason these kids are successful is because they've been taught a trial and error approach. Yeah. They've been taught not to be afraid. It's what yeah. you were talking about earlier, that fear of failure and protecting them from failure. Yeah. And why it's okay for them to fail yeah. sometimes because they need to learn how to do that. Trial and error. Get it right. Go back. Fix. Make, change your mistakes. Fix your mistakes. That's okay. I love it. Okay, there's another thing that you mentioned in the book, which I would love to unpack. So you said, um, you know, you were talking about the winning trifecta, Mm -hmm. the child, teacher, parent. Maybe tell us a little bit more about that. Maybe give us some examples if you can. So when we talk about the winning trifecta, we, we really are firm believers in that your parents, your teachers and your child have to be on the same page. It's as simple Mm. as that. You've all got to be on the same page. You've all got to, you're heading in the same direction. So when we talk about that farmer mentality, we talk to the parents about that right from the first interview mm. so that they understand that that is how we approach education. Um, we have tried to, what we did last year was a very interesting thing that we did. We thought, how do we make our ideas and our values and the way we want these children to think and we want our parents to engage with the school and with these children, how do we make that real? Mm. How do we make that how do we format that in, in something that everyone has access to and can engage with? Mm. So we sat and we, we essentially, we called it verbing the values. We took the values and we tried to create verbs or, or, or oh, words that, that, that they would all identify with. And we came up with a few. So, and they, all the words started with an I uh, because that's easier to remember. It's easier to, to have a kind of a catchphrase going that the kids can latch onto, that parents can latch onto, that even the teachers can latch onto. So we did a, a, a series of I words for the leadership of the school, the teachers within the school, the parents, the kids. At every level, there were these three I's that they could constantly be working towards to, mm. to see, right, we are still on the right path. We are still moving in the Love right it. direction. Love it. And so our parents' eyes, we, our expectation from parents in completing our triangle between school, child, and parent is that we want our parents to be informed, mm-hmm. we want them to be involved, and we want them to be in touch. And again, it takes explanation. It takes talking to the parents about these kind of things because you don't want the interfere eye coming in. Yes. 
<laughs> Definitely not. Keep that one yeah. as far away as possible. You know, parents come up with incredibly innovative ideas and it's saying, right, how do we apply them? How do mm. we get them involved in the school? Channel them towards the right teacher or whoever can head up a project with them. Get them involved. Mm. We like them to be in touch with the school. We, we are not a school where we want to enroll your child and then not see you for the next eight months. Mm. That's not effective communication. That's when there are hiccups. You don't want that happening. You want constant communication with your parents where it's, it's easy communication. Mm. Our office, for example, is not hidden behind the admin building in the school. It's actually smack in the middle of a whole lot of classrooms. Oh, wow. Kids have access. Parents have access. Oh, I love that. It's almost like the open door policy. Yeah. Well, kind of open door by appointment. <laughs> <laughs> but it, So when the parents understand the expectations of the school, it is far more easy to have that trifecta working. Yeah, I love that. And it does work in the best interest of the child. Yes, when the kid's getting older and older and older, we, we tend to have more parent meetings with our matrix than we have with our younger kids because those parents are a little, a lot more anxious about mm. where they are and what's happening with the children. And it's just constantly touching base with them, checking in with them, them checking in with us, seeing that we're all still on the same page, moving forward in the right direction, in the best interests of the child, reminding them, don't worry about this test or this particular exam. What did the child achieve? Are they still moving in, this, in the right direction? Mm. Then it's fine. We're all good. We, we, it's happening. The process is working as it should. I love that. I know of a lot of my friends that do their children's school projects. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what are your views on that? Is that teamwork or is um, how do you <laughs> – how do you uh, – <laughs> like there were science ones with the yeah. solar system and when the parents yeah. didn't build it. Listen, I want to laugh, but I think it's hysterical. Yeah. Um, so what what are your views on that specific, specifically because you're trying to teach the children yeah. to be educated differently, but parents are also so, so much involved. In being yeah. Generally, the stance that we take, we go right back to the basics and we say, right, what was the objective of this project? Yeah. And have the objectives been met? Yeah. So project work is, is about collaboration and teamwork and also we always laugh about it because we say, you know, in, in, <laughs> in school, talking to your mates is cheating, but in an adult world, it's collaboration. You know, it's you, true. <laughs> it's true. I don't have to say <laughs> So what are the objectives? If the objective is to collaborate with a specific person so that yeah. we could see that these two children could plan correctly and all that sort of thing and that's all been hijacked by the parent they've completely undermined the, the objective of the assessment or the project or whatever it is and that's going to be an issue that's when your trifecta is breaking down because they have undermined what you're trying to achieve they might have done it completely unintentionally too yeah because they think that they're doing they're doing yes. good and exactly um, they just want their kids to pass and feel exactly. confident in everything that they do but yeah. they need to learn and fa and you know what I think learning to fail and to fail fast. It's incredibly is, important. It's important. I mean, we teach that in a corporate environment is fail fast, but fail forward. Yes. It's it's either I failed, but mm -hmm. how do I learn the lesson if I did? And then pick, pick yourself up and move on. In the beginning, when we were talking about parents protecting their kids all the time, you know, yeah. that they don't make mistakes yeah. and so forth. And then when they're exposed to, to the adult world, yeah. It, 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 it's a brick between the eyes because they've never been taught how to cope with that. Yeah. And that is a serious disadvantage because yeah. they are going to fail. It's inevitable. That's human nature. They're yeah. going to make mistakes. So what have they learned from that mistake? It's okay to make mistakes within school. School yeah. is still a safe enough environment where you can make mistakes. That's mm. okay. But if you keep making the same mistake, it's not going to continue to be okay. And you have to learn that. 
I know of someone whose child does have a learning disability. Mm -hmm. The parents have always been doing the homework and helping with the homework. And this learning disability only came out in high school. And if they knew this beforehand, mm -hmm. because the parents didn't have the ability because they were so immersed in their own world, yeah. trying to just to keep everything alive, mm -hmm. um, that they weren't paying attention to those signals. What yeah. are your views on that? And Because I'm sure there's denial, right? I'm sure that there would be parents with denial and saying... Absolutely, that happens. No parent wants their child to be put at a disadvantage. It, it's, mm. it's heartbreaking to watch parents go through that. Mm. It's an exceptionally stressful situation for them. But more, more important than anything else in that scenario is, again, rely on your trifecta. Your, yeah. your school is there to support you in that or mm. should be there to support you. It's probably more accurate. As a parent, you haven't necessarily been trained on how to handle situations like that. Your school's going to have more information on it. So why not bring them in? Yeah. Talk to them about it. Communication channels are open. You can help that child. Mm. And you know what? Sometimes very tough decisions need to be made. That's mm. the way of it too, where you sit down and you say, right, we need to look at another environment for this child mm. if it's severe. Yeah. No, no, definitely. But yeah, don't hamstring your child by covering it up. Or forcing them into yeah. a situation that is completely inappropriate for them. It just adds to the stress. Why would you want your child to be under that amount of stress on a daily basis? That's, mm. that's not fair on the child. Mm. And then they feel like misfits. Exactly. You know, yeah, when, they, when, when they do enter the, the, the workforce. And I remember being a child, nerds were like something that everybody laughed about. Like yeah. nerds were always bullied and <laughs> they were the most uncool people ever. Yeah. But now we've got the whole... Like, Geek chic thing going. Like it is the <laughs> thing. It's preppy. It's everything. Yeah. Uh, but I also, yeah, but this is a topic for another day. But I also see a lot of examples of children that are obsessed with gaming, obsessed yeah. with getting mm. themselves into next level. And mm. then parents don't realize that if some of these guys, if they have talent in it, mm -hmm. they could go very far because gaming is going to be the new wars that we're going to fight. Gaming is going to be, a, they said the third world war would be a gaming war. It's a terrifying um, thought, but yes. But we need them for the apocalypse. No, I'm joking. <laughs> the zombie but, apocalypse. The zombie apocalypse, yeah. Um, I, think, I think also with that um, in context comes like you, you're stimulating the right brain and the left brain yeah. in, in everything that you do mm -hmm. with the trifecta, also having the parents involved. Mm -hmm. And I think also having an understanding, this is your child. Mm -hmm. This is where we need to go. This is the end the end path where you want yeah. to get them. And for parents also to understand, to incorporate balance, 100%. digital balance, because yeah. everything is not good. No, it's like everything else in the world, everything in moderation. So yeah. no, we are certainly not in any way telling children to be Luddites and not have any form of tech and no gaming and no this and no that. Again, that's not equipping them mm. for the world that is to come. Yeah. And But we do need to show them how to be disciplined and to regulate the behavior. They still have bodies that need to be exercised. They still have to eat correctly. They have to go to bed at a regular time. So no, you can't game all day, every day. Mm. It's, mm. it's just like you can't eat pizza all day, every day. Yeah, yeah, I wish, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as much as we'd like to, it doesn't matter. You just can't do that. It's not healthy. You can only just touch your phone like 3,000 times a day, okay? That's the only thing I like. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm not letting any of my kids hear that you just said that. <laughs> Another thing I would like to, before we go on to mm. our game, there's a very important question I need to ask you. Mm -hmm. 
one thing that we need to accept is that we live in a country where not everybody has the ability to send their kids to public school. And Seth Godin, he's, for example, a huge believer that the public schools are a better solution than private schools. Mm-hmm. And your book is very aimed towards private education. But I just want us to summarize that and, and just have a chat and see um, what is your tips and advice for the, for the people and parents out there that can't afford to send their, their children to, um, you know, to private schools. Yeah, probably more than half of the, the population are in that position. Well, definitely more than half of the population are in that position where they have to look at uh, public options. Some of our population don't have any option at all. So the best that those parents can do is focus on the involvement, on the being involved, being informed, being in touch. In that sense, they can still do the very, very best with their children and their school. In mm. other words... Don't be afraid to make contact with the teacher. The more communication you have with your teacher, the better. Talk about your child. Talk about the child's goals and aspirations. Talk about the subject so that the parents are getting a level of education about education. And what they're passionate about and learning more about it and trying to create environments for them. Correct. I mean, ultimately, your goal is always that you want your child in the most suitable environment for your child. You want them to be in an environment that resonates with your child. They have to be comfortable. If they're relaxed, they can learn. Yeah. If they're constantly stressed out for whatever reason, whether they're hungry, whether they're tired, whether they are not coping, they're feeling left out, that is a problem because mm. the brain's capacity to learn at that point has been compromised. Mm. So ultimately, yes, we're looking for an environment that resonates with each and every child, but that's a very idealistic concept. Children will go into public education and not necessarily fit mm. that system very, very well, or as well as we would all that we would like them all to fit into. So the parents' responsibility at that point is make a point of being in touch and informed with this. Be involved with your school. Mm. Make sure that that process of education is in place. Talk to your child about that process all the time. You know, it's the difference between mm. well, you know what? I've looked at your report this term. We're still not quite there on the maths, but. You did improve by 5% between last term and this term, and I'm happy with that. Mm. You know, we tell our teachers that if a child comes to you with a test and they show you the mark, never react to any mark until you've asked the child the question, how's this compared to the last test? Because a child might present a math test of, let's say, 45%, mm. and the teacher might freak out. <gasps> What's yeah. happening? This is a disaster at 45%. But actually, the child got 35% on the last test. Mm. So in reality, that child's increased by 10%. And you've got to watch what you're focusing on there. So that's part of that process, teaching the parents the appropriate responses and reactions to that. And that's what comes through being in touch with your school and the teachers. I mean, I wish we had more time, but unfortunately we don't. But I think the first thing I want to ask is how can people get hold of you and also find a copy of this book that we were talking about? The easiest thing to do is just to go onto the school's website because as soon as you go onto the website, the brochure and the book are are links on the side. Okay. It's www.eduinc.co.za. Fantastic. And it's a free book, so Mm -hmm. enjoy. (laughs) Now we're moving on. We're going to play a 60-second game so Mm -hmm. we can get to know you a bit better and our audience can see that you're not just the principal. (laughs) Okay. All right. On your marks, get set, go. What would be the absolute worst name you could give your child? Good Lord. (laughs) We've we've heard so many of them. (laughs) Quickly. First thing that comes to mind. Aloysius. Okay. What secret conspiracy would you like to start? 
<laughs> well, I did start one at the school about the ghosts in the garden. Oh, so. I did that too! <laughs> How do you feel about putting pineapple on pizza? Yeah, I'm okay with it. Okay, if you were transported 400 years into the past with no clothes or anything else, how would you convince people that you're from the future? Oh, shock and horror. <laughs> I would show them how the dye is growing out of my hair and then they'd be convinced. <laughs> what is the most embarrassing thing you've ever worn? Oh, it had to be in the 80s, but that would be giving my age away. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you know that really reminds you of a character in a TV show or um or movie? Oh, crumbs. Oh. You see, then I'd have to go into talking about my parents, and that would be a problem. The, the parent body. No, we can't do that one. Skip it. <laughs> Ooh, we finished! <laughs> Sorry. But you did well. You managed to get six out of ten. Oh, no, 60%. Listen, we don't measure. It's the process. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you to Carmen Murray and Jacqueline Aitchison. Thank you also to Brand Live and Solid Gold Studios for producing this episode. For show notes, please go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash edufink. Keep an eye out for our next episode on the differences and similarities between South African and Finnish education and what we can learn from them. Until next time, keep learning. Keep learning.